Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. All right, welcome everyone back to another edition of New Books in Education. This is your host, Ryan Allen, and I'm really excited today to bring you an author who I'd previously read uh, a book of his and uh, then came along his uh, most recent publication, and I think everyone uh, is really going to enjoy it, enjoy listening to the conversation, and I think it's quite relevant to a lot of the conversations we're having in education and society uh, today. Uh, So I have... uh, Dr. David Baker from uh, University of Penn, or Penn State University, uh, and his book, The School Society, The Educational Transformation of Global Culture, and that's from Stanford University Press, 2014. Dr. Baker, thank you for uh, joining me today. Thank you, Ryan. Great to be here. Absolutely. And this book, uh, I, I, first off, I, I read your uh, previous book, National Differences, Global Similarities, and so I, that's kind of how, how I... Uh, uh, stumbled across this this new book of yours, and so I'm really just interested in your sort of uh, educational path. You really seem to converge these ideas from sociology and education uh, to really, I think, make uh, a very interesting case, in a, especially in this new book as well. How, how did that come about? How do you how do you converge these two fields? <laughs> well, uh, right, you're right. I am a sociologist through and through. Uh, became very interested in that. Um, I went to uh, Johns Hopkins, uh, has, a, has a great sociology department, and uh, as often happens, uh, where you go uh, kind of influences you, and they had a very strong concentration in what's called sociology of education, or, or understanding the relationship between education and society. So in reality, I, I more or less fell into that, um, and then... Uh, I became interested in that. I did a lot of uh, international work and education. Uh, I was uh, in Washington, D.C. for a long time, and uh, that gave me access to a lot of the action in Washington, both about domestic issues and in, uh, in education, but more importantly, around international uh, issues in education. And as I started to do that work and saw uh, the education establishment from a lot of different perspectives, I started to realize that education is this massive institution. And not only is it large, but it has um, very distinct, independent influences on education. And many sociologists, I thought, and others, and other intellectuals, hadn't really thought about that. And so over the, the last, uh, you know, 20 years uh, with others, uh, I've been doing a lot of research of, on the effects of education on society. A lot of work uh, that's been done in sociology looks at what does education do for an individual? Does he get him a job or not? Or is education uh, uh, weaker or stronger for different groups with a different disability or disadvantage and so forth. 
And those, that's all fine research. But I, I flipped that around and said, you know, it looks, uh, and a lot of, and a number of people were talking about the fact that education has become such a massive institution. Mm. Um, it has effects on society beyond uh, just what it might do for the individual. So um, you're right, sort of in this long evolution of my ideas and my work, uh, coming to Penn State, um, I, I was able to have a professorship in both education and sociology, which was great. And so the, the book is really a natural outcome of that. All right, fantastic. Well, it's definitely informed as you're, as you're reading uh, the chapter. You can really feel the, the sociology uh, connection and, and that conforms the education side considerably. Um, can I ask you, maybe if you can just uh, give us sort of your uh, theoretical rooting for this, and, and I talk about, throughout you talk about neo-institutionalism, can you maybe just explain that idea to briefly, I know it could be a whole, a whole uh, PhD in neo-institutionalism. Yeah, it's, it's kind of an insider term. <laughs> uh, uh, let, let me put it this way. So, uh, social science, and particularly sociology, is interested in two uh, big questions. Uh, one question is, uh, how does uh, society change? Um, uh, what, what are the factors that causes it to change? And a lot of work there is looked at political conflict, economic conflict, uh, uh, technological change, uh, so forth. The second question is... Uh, not as dealt with as much uh, recently, but as equally important is actually, I would say, the more primary question, and that is, what makes society possible? How do we have society? How do we get up every morning and society is still there? Uh, and and how, how can we sustain societies that appear to get more and more complex? So that the question on the origin and sustainability of society is really what I'm interested in and really what the theory of the book tries to look at. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and so uh, one of the big keys uh, for sociologists interested in that question was to say, well, where does culture come from? Because the ideas and the beliefs and the values of society are what sustain it. In other words, as I said, we get up every morning and we believe pretty much the same thing we, we did the day before. And we create society every day. Um, and this idea of culture was very important. At the same time, sociologists took that idea a little step further and said, well, culture really comes in what we could call social institutions. Right? Unfortunately, in the, in the English language, we have multiple definitions for the word institution. Right. So we have a brick-and-mortar institution like the university that I'm sitting in or a hospital. But we also have the idea of social institutions like family. Uh, like education. Uh, and so there can be brick and mortar places inside social institutions. But social institutions is a way to organize culture. And it, it, it gives people an understanding of a certain sector of activity. It gives them ways to feel, to think, uh, and to act. And sociologists started to see that society is made up of these institutions. They overlap. They overlap um, and they sometimes are in conflict. They sometimes uh, are very symbiotic. But we can think of the world that way. And so the way I'm trying to think about education is as, an, as a social institution. Okay. Right. So what kind of ideas, what kind of ways does it uh, um, help people think about reality? 
And then how does it uh, play a role in constructing society? Mm. So that that's really the the broad theoretical argument. But you don't to read the book, uh, you don't need to know all the details about neo institutionalism. But one of the one of the key key ideas of, of, of sociology, indeed all social and behavioral sciences uh, over the last 200 years, is that society is socially constructed. Mm. It's constructed by humans, okay? Um, for, for many of us now, that's an obvious uh, 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 truth. But 200 years ago, it wasn't. Uh, uh, the idea that individuals created society was very radical. Um, and a number of famous social theorists um, began to think uh, very differently, many of them at universities, and began to say, well, wait a minute, actually societies are created by humans, and how, how does that happen? Mm. And uh, a big part of the story that I tell in the book is that uh, universities and what happened at universities were very much part of this, and this idea then is an epistemological revolution um, to get people uh, to start to believe that, okay, is a major change. Um, and so it's not, society is not created by a deity, or society is not some natural uh, technical process only. Uh, it is created by how people believe. And so institutions are very important tools uh, for people to uh, understand reality and uh, to define reality to create reality okay and and so education is one of those so that's how I use it in the book absolutely I think that's a great crash course for our audience uh, <laughs> who potentially isn't an art sociology major I think that's perfect uh, right. for, for them so I do I do appreciate that right uh, so so now we kind of have sort of where where we're rooted for the book can you kind of talk about how you're defining uh, school society well, what, what is, I mean, that's the title of the book. What, what exactly is that? How, how, how is this different than before? Or uh, how did, maybe how did we uh, uh, get here at least? Sure, sure. And uh, so, first of all, uh, uh, all intellectuals, including myself, always overstate their case. Okay. <laughs> so, so you got to scream loud to get the attention of people. So uh, to call something blank society uh, is a little bit of a trick. All right. Um, uh, but I am trying to, to get people's attention and to say how much is, as education that's from early childhood all the way up through advanced degrees to adult or, uh, education. How much does that change society? Mm. And, um, up until, uh, a, a while ago, uh, people always thought, intellectuals thought about education as a secondary institution, that it prepares people for society. And what happens in society shapes what happens in education. They also oftentimes pointed out that, that education wasn't very good at that, that it wasn't giving, quote unquote, what society needs. And that's mm -hmm. the kind of constant dialogue you hear. Sure. But there's a lot of evidence to flip that around and to say, actually, Education has become such a culturally dominant institution that it shapes society um, a lot. Right. And so to understand the school society, you have to understand a second idea in the book, or really the observation book, what we call education revolution. Mm -hmm. And 
over about 150 years ago, starting 150 years ago, education really changed. A lot of people think education just stays pretty much the same or gets worse from some glorious past, but that neither are true. <laughs> it changes, and it changes in very interesting ways. You know, most societies uh, prior to 150, 200 years ago really didn't give most people very much education. Education was for the elite by and large. It was also oftentimes religious-based, uh, depending on the society. Uh, it was not cognitive-based. Um, it was oftentimes very vocational for those for, for those educational processes that were given out to larger parts of the population, that is to do specific things, mm -hmm. specific jobs, skills. Um, the elites uh, had a very classical-based kind of education where they learned to communicate with one another in Latin and through different kinds of classical ideas. But this change, this, this began to change, and along with it, the idea that every child should go to educate, to, to go to school, and when they did that, that would be good for society. Right. These are two very revolutionary ideas. They're so natural now, it's hard for a lot of people to see them as, as a major change, but they were a mm -hmm. major change. Right. And this is accelerated. Um, and so with what we can call the education revolution, which is both providing more and more people worldwide with more and more education, plus the ideas, the ideology that this is useful and important has really changed education itself. So now education is about uh, human development. It's about cognitive skills. Uh, it's about uh, self-improvement. And it's seen as a way in which society progresses. Now, people are going to say, is that true? Is that always <laughs> true? Uh, no, it's not always true. But these are the fundamental ideas behind what pushes more and more education. Sure, absolutely. So, so um, instead, you know, the, the alternative is to think that education is somehow corrupt, that it, it is too much of it, um, it has been dumbed down, um, it doesn't do any, it's a myth. It doesn't really do much to people, mm. but, but in a way, all of those things are kind of like uh, the story of the, the, the King's new clothes. <laughs> right. It just doesn't, it just doesn't fit the evidence. Okay. The evidence in reverse is much stronger that, that education has created a culture by which we think more of it always is better. Right. Mm. That's interesting. I'm not saying as a, as citizen David Baker, whether that's good or not. That's not my role as a sociologist. My role as a sociologist is to try to show the reader, your audience, here's what's happening. Here's what society believes. Here's what people believe. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. And and so how, how do you explain the massive growth in education? How do you explain now that maybe many of your young listeners are doing two BAs or are doing a a bachelor's with a graduate degree, right. or are in high school taking college courses. Right. Now, the usual way to explain that is, well, that's because everything jobs are more complex than you have to do. Okay. Maybe we should flip this around and look how when we do that kind of education, it changes jobs themselves. Mm. Also, a lot of people aren't just doing education for a specific job. In fact, most people are. 
They have a lot of other ideas about how this is going to make them an intelligent person, an educated person, a thoughtful person. And, and once you open that up for everybody, then you can't stop it. Sure. And so, so we need other ways to look at it. So the idea of the school society then is that package. In other words, what has this massive amount of education done to society and what it's done not everything's perfect. I'm not trying to say it's a perfect uh, uh, outcome, but it's changed society in many, many ways. Sure. And uh, I think that kind of fits what's happening better than some of the other scenarios. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, certainly interesting. And, you know, both of us sitting in uh, academic institutions, and we can definitely just look around and see how many more students have uh, uh, more credentials, more uh, degrees, more people going to PAs and MAs and, and PhDs as well. And and this this institution that we're both sitting at, the university. Right, right. That it's was an my amazing next. institution. Sure. You know, because not only does it bring those degrees to people, it creates the basis for the knowledge that goes into those degrees, and it invents new degrees. You know, the usual idea is there's some need out there in society and the university kind of bumbles and stumbles along and eventually produces a degree in it, right? right? That's not really, when you look at what happens, that's not really what happens, okay? What happens is, is yes, there can be needs, certain places and so forth, but the university has the charter to create a, a degree. I, I see it all the time here. For example, I'll give, I'll give you a good one. So, uh, increasingly the issue of sports in, univers in American universities is huge. Right. right? And um, uh, Penn State's had a big sports uh, complex. It's also had a scandal not, not too many years ago. Sure. There's a lot of issues around it. Well, I was in a faculty meeting with education people, and they said, why don't we start to think about a graduate degree in education and athletics, mm. you know? Right. Yeah, right. And Brett goes, oh, that's interesting. Now, now, the athletic world didn't come to us and said, oh, please, you know, would you develop a, a, a degree because we don't know what we're doing? <laughs> right. <laughs> or, nor did they come to us and say, hey, you know, you guys are so far behind the world, you got to develop a degree in this. Neither of those happened. Right. Rather, it was a group of academics sitting around saying, hey, this, this is interesting. We can generate knowledge about that. We know how to talk, how to have a, develop a, a master's for people who are interested in higher ed athletics. Sure. Um, and to train athletic directors and so forth and so on. Okay. And so, so this happens in every sector of the university right. over and over and over again. And this is how the university creates the reality of society. Sure. Uh, and so this is a very powerful process that's oftentimes completely missed or, or thought about in a very different way. Right. I love your example in the book as well of the MBA. This sort of, I mean, now to, to not have one and move up in the business world is almost unthinkable. And Exactly. Exactly. And But, you know, uh, my father, who's 90, uh, was a bit, was a, a executive. Uh, he didn't have an MBA. Right. So, so really in just two generations, um, and, and what the MBA, what they teach in the MBA is not the specifics of day to day management of a firm, but it's a lot of, uh, 
very uh, uh, specialized knowledge sure. about organizations, about markets, all kinds of things. And when those people then go into business, they talk that way, they think that way, and it changes business. Um, so um, there's there's a very symbiotic process here. Um, and yeah, the MBA is a great example uh, of how um, in a very short time, um, a, bit, a degree developed by the universities has become extremely successful worldwide and become really reality for for not only not only business organizations, but now uh, nonprofits, uh, all kinds of the organized world, which is huge, um, uh, want people trained uh, with an MBA. Yeah, absolutely. I just I read an interesting article last night about about a guy who made this incredibly, I guess, popular blog that he had a he had a really nice job already in business, and he kind of was managing this this uh, I guess he moved into nonprofit management, but his life dream was to go and get an MBA from like a, a top 10 school, even though we already had the, you know, the, these, this nice job. And position. Yeah, yeah. 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 You know, I talk about his backward credentialing. So, so educational degrees become so meaningful that, uh, they become status in and of themselves. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, people want them and feel good about them. Right. Um, the same with the GED, uh, same with uh, other kinds of, uh, 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 degree processes. Yeah. Um, so this wouldn't be the case if degrees were purely vocational in a narrow sense. You know, as you said, this guy already had the job. Uh, but the feeling to be ver to, to be verified, uh, both uh, externally, but a lot of this is internal, sure. uh, uh, by a advanced academic degree, uh, is a very interesting phenomenon that we haven't thought about very. Sure. Uh, you know, I, I don't. I don't believe that all the people that do this are nutty. Uh, you know, that's one argument <laughs> that, that they're somehow tricked. I, I don't. I don't believe that. Right. I think it's a profound uh, process that we need to understand better. Sure, absolutely. Well, maybe we can kind of jump back a bit and, and talk about uh, the university and, and what exactly that is and that idea now. I mean, it's it's a lot different than it was maybe 150 years ago. We're talking specifically about. The Western University, and then I think even you get into the idea of this, these research universities, which more of the American model. So, can you kind of talk about that progress and that? And that sure, sure. Well, in many ways, the what I call the education revolution, even before um, 150 years ago, really was bound up in this uh, very interesting invention, this social invention uh, that was first done in in in, in Northern Europe. Uh, called the university, and there were there were um, uh, Islamic versions, but they didn't have the sustainability that the Western ones have. And I won't go into that, but the but the Western university became was was very um, important because it became the place where um, people could study things openly, uh, where they could train other people to do that, uh, and where. That training and that knowledge was combined and very powerful um, parts of Western uh, feudal uh, European society acknowledged that. Um, and this is really intensified. Now, that doesn't mean every university is all powerful or anything like that. Sure. But it's intensified over time and it got very strong in the United States um, uh, leading up to the Second World War and after the Second World War. Um, 
what historians of higher education call the knowledge conglomerate really uh, uh, expanded uh, in American universities. And the production of American science, which is proportionally the largest in the world, still is. Um, the American universities had a lot to do with it. And, interestingly, the public American universities had a lot to do with that. Mm. Um, the, the land grants, for example, if people know that name, or, or where I am, Penn State University, sure. uh, any number of the state universities, these were places where, interestingly enough, the American society said, yeah, we'll train all kinds of people. Um, this is not just an elite place. Uh, we'll train all kinds of people, and that, that, that's a good thing. And that generated a lot of resources uh, for research as well. Um, so you have these massive universities, many, many, many faculty um, doing some teaching, but spending a lot of their time also doing research. Sure. And this really propelled American science development uh, big time. And, of course, we had very uh, high-level private universities, too, which were doing similar kinds of things. But this this public engine of expanding higher education for the every person, so to speak. Um, not all, not, and we didn't do that perfectly, and we haven't, and we haven't done that in every respect. But certainly doing it more than than, than many many other countries, all other countries really. And hooking that to knowledge production uh, became very powerful. Mm -hmm. uh, so um, you know, at a place uh, like where I am. Uh, the number of biologists here, uh, both in, in various departments and in institutes, is in, in, in the hundreds. Right. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, we're reasonably supported uh, by, by the public in general. Uh, I know there's a big crisis about uh, uh, tuition costs and so forth, but um, we can talk about that a little bit. But, but generally, these institutions have been seen as good for society and have been highly supported. And that's been a big key in, in the ability to produce knowledge and produce degrees. Sure. Uh, and so that just feeds this whole process. Um, and that's not happening all over the world. Right. Uh, a number of countries that abandoned uh, universities and said, we're going to set up research institutes, um, run by the state and so forth. That, that didn't work very well. Hmm. Mo most of the world now has come back to the American model right? and actually trying to intensify the American model. A number of the Asian countries, uh, China, uh, uh, basically uh, has moved away from a tight state-controlled set of uh, uh, research institutes and, and now wants world-class universities. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's interesting. That's very interesting. And so it, it seems to be a very durable model. Um, I mean, it's not perfect. Um, uh, you can't just produce what I call super research university overnight. It takes a lot of money. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, linking uh, people's aspirations for more education, uh, opening up education to as much of the society as you possibly can, um, uh, linking that with... Uh, high-quality knowledge production, science and non-science, um, seems to be a very uh, 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 potent engine uh, for producing a lot of new uh, knowledge. Sure, absolutely.
And we, and then so kind of the concern that maybe comes from this that I think is, is nicely connected. Uh, and, and you mentioned it, there's almost this, this concern that people are going to get this education and then what does that actually mean? What are they going to go do? Right. Um, I think you give us this uh, term from a, a sociologist, um, diploma disease and this over-education. Can you kind of talk about what that sure. means and maybe why uh, you kind of disagree with, or, or haven't uh, seen that in, in society? Yet? Sure, sure. And so it's a very, it's a very uh, easy way to think about the expansion of education, uh, to say, wow, so all these people now are getting this degree, a high school degree uh, in the 60s or in the 50s, uh, BAs in the 60s and 70s in the United States, graduate degrees now, the MBA, you know. And, and people think, well, they're going to pour into a world and they're not going to be able to find the jobs mm-hmm. that they want. And right. this is going to cause huge upheaval. And in fact, uh, in the United States and in the world, as, as high schools expanded in, in, in developing countries and as uh, undergraduate education expanded in, 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 uh, in the United States and other developed countries, people were sure that there was going to be this massive over-education crisis, is what they called it. Sure. And uh, sociologists wrote about it. You know, everything. Well, then it didn't happen, Mm. right? When people went back and tried to look for the kinds of predictions, I mean, people were going to say there's literally going to be people on the streets that that our society was going to crash and burn. Well, it didn't happen. Okay, so I I ask, why didn't it happen? And, and, And what does that mean? One of the reasons it didn't happen is because... The education that these people took into the labor market and into jobs changed jobs themselves. Hmm. There's a whole set of nice research by uh, labor economists that shows that firms, when they have more educated workers, they'll say, fine, they'll change their production processes, their profit-making, their profit-seeking to, to fit those kinds of workers. Right. And they did. And the world changed. So... The idea that there's somehow fixed society and that education inflates and, and creates people with more degrees and then this is going to cause this massive problem of trying to get this, you know, oversized educational foot into this tiny shoe of society is just not the right way to think about it. Sure. The shoe grows. <laughs> sure. And so, but you can't get rid of that overeducation idea. I mean, it just comes up over and over again. Now, for the young people out there, they're going to be saying, listen to me, and they're going, oh, wait a minute. You know, I have a BA, and I'm having a hard time getting a job. You know, yes, yes. I'm not saying that, that you know, everything is nice and smooth in the labor market, right? And it's true. Has advanced degrees become more common? Um, it is more competitive and more difficult, okay? Um, so what, you know, the places that were open for, a engineer 50 years ago, it might have been much, much clear if you had an engineering degree, you would work in one of these places. Now it's, it's, it's much more like a market. But uh, we find over lots of people that the idea of an over crisis just does not happen, that, that the, the economy changes. Uh, and workplaces change. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
jobs themselves. So, for example, the fastest growing jobs in the American society over the last several, three, four, five decades have been cognitively driven kinds of jobs, right? Where you think, where you problem solve, where you manage people. Right. The, that sector has been booming, right? Those are the places where you get growth. Hmm. The more tight physical uh, labor uh, kinds of jobs, by and large, many of them have been dying. Now, there is a, there is a lower-level service sector, which is still there. But the upper-level service sector, for example, is all highly educated, skilled kind of jobs. Right. So, so, and this is not me saying this is econ- this is economists. People who look at the labor market and so forth are, are are looking at these trends. And so, there's a symbiotic quality between education and work, uh, which is very interesting. Sure. Uh, and so, also the 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 other element here is technology which also rests on university science and highly educated people to run it. Mm. A lot of jobs have, have become more technical. So, and a lot of jobs have used, you know, robots, so forth, that take away those low skilled kind of jobs. Right. But they've been replaced by people doing the other parts of those jobs. So, so you know, there was this idea that the technology was going to downgrade Right, um, but that's not true. That that's happened in a few few places in the economy, but generally it hasn't happened as much. Now it's going to be interesting. So worldwide, what's going on now? So there's this huge outsourcing of a very low level job, say right. uh, apparel making, right, yeah. and uh, manufacturing in China, uh, other places, right. Um, and they're starting to go through the same education revolution that the rest of the world has. Okay. So it's going to be very interesting. Um, the apparel industry is pretty interesting because it, it's been, um, difficult to automate that. And it still takes a lot of hand hmm. work by a human with the machine, right? Um, so I'm not saying that everything's going to be just copacetic. There's going to be some struggle and there's going to be some conflict, right. but, but to think just narrowly uh, that, you know, okay, so 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 30% more people now get a BA than, say, before, whatever it is, they're going to all have to go into jobs that are going to be totally beneath them. Well, no, that tends not to happen over the long term. Right. Uh, now, I, again, you know, I'm quite aware of what's going on. I have a daughter who finished at Penn State. She's doing an unpaid internship. Okay. Um, and that's not exactly a dream job. Sure. My grandparent, my grandfather would say, what? An unpaid job. You know? <laughs> right, <laughs> and, right. and, and real, of course, what is an internship? It is actually an educational experience. It's actually an ed- sort of an educational degree, right? Mm. Because she'll then take that into the labor market um, and say, well, I did this great internship at this place where I want to work and in the sector I want to work and so forth. Uh, so I'm not saying that there is that that this isn't painful uh, at times, and that this is not challenging for young people. It is, but uh, just a very simplistic idea of overeducation just does not describe what happens uh, as education's grown and has uh, the the um, technology has changed and also the workplace has changed. Sure, absolutely, and it it recalls uh, a past interview I had uh, Michael Roth, Dr. Michael Roth, on the show. Previously, and uh, 
was it president of Wesley University, I think he posited, he said, look, you know, what's wrong with a, a taxi cab driver who can understand and talk about philosophy? Like, why is that necessarily a bad thing? Well, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, but I hate the taxi cab driver <laughs> you know, <laughs> argument because always the cat, taxi cab driver with the PhD, right? That when I was getting a PhD, that was always this this horrible vision we had, you right. know. Um, and 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 indeed, the academic market was was uh, not growing as fast as it had before. Um, so there was some pain, and I felt some pain too. But uh, yeah, that. That's okay, but but <laughs> but the better way to think about it is that um, uh, the jobs that people are learning, uh, the the jobs that, that that people with degrees in philosophy and so forth, um, and the kind of skills that they get there are growing very quickly. Mm. Um, and um, it, you know, I I find a lot of undergraduates come to me and say, I want to major in something that I get a job. In. Right. And I say, well, you know, you're going to get a job, you know, you're smart, yeah, you hustle, uh, so, so get educated, you know, yes, okay, if you definitely know you want to be X and there's a program for X, okay, yeah, sure, do X, that's fine. Right. But if you don't know X, don't worry so much, you know, sure. take what you want, you know, you're at this wonderful institution for could be a two-year school. Now over half the people in higher ed are two-year schools. Mm. Um, could be a two-year school. Before you're here to be educated. You know, do that. You know, it's not a vocational training process as much as many people uh, think it is. That's really changed. Right. Um, so, uh, uh, and and I know there's always a little. It's, it's always a little difficult to launch a career and, uh, and so forth, but. Uh, uh, it's, it's the, the, in general, the overeducation crisis, the diploma disease, um, all those predictions turned out not to happen. Mm -hmm. So I'm just simply asking the, the, the empirical question. So what did happen? Why didn't it happen? Um, sure. and, and when you start to look at some of the answers of why, you start to realize well, that was a bad prediction. So maybe we shouldn't predict that every time education <laughs> expands. Right, right. Well, that kind of leads me into uh, another direction that your book kind of carries into. You kind of talk about how, you know, we talk about the work, how it shaped the workforce, but uh, how about the ideas of, of religion or, or politics? How does it kind of fit into um, uh, the school design? Sure. Yeah, those are, those are fun chapters to write. Uh, <laughs> and and uh, they both, uh, you know, have the same kind of premise that, um, so, so on politics, so you had a, all, the, all these political scientists for all these years have been showing that at the individual level, if somebody has more education, they act politically one way versus, uh, somebody with less education on average, right? Sure. But then when they looked at, uh, when they looked at societal wide processes, they didn't see that as much. So they thought, oh. Education is making these quote unquote perfect citizens, but when we look at politics in society, it's getting chaotic. It's getting anything but perfect. Right. You know, voting rates go down among people. People don't care about politics. People overcare about politics, whatever it is, right? And this, it presented this paradox, right? Um, and so 
what I argue there with other research is that, no, actually both are right. In other words, it is true that education really changes how people think politically and act politically. Sure. But it doesn't make them perfect citizens, quiet, you know, right. voting. Right. <laughs> it turns them into political animals. Right. <laughs> okay. And well, your generation is a great example of that. Uh, you know, the the politicization of everything. Right. The willing, willingness of people your age to get involved in all kinds of uh, NGOs and causes and issues and so forth is so revved up mm. compared to my generation, which was much more revved up compared to my parents' generation. And a lot of it has to do with education. Sure. Well, and, okay. and so, no, you didn't all become nicely uh, nice, quiet Democrats or Republicans sitting at home reading your New York Times and voting. Right. right? That's not what you did. Right. What you did was you became highly involved in certain issues that you're interested in, and you really know how to organize. Um, I mean, a lot of the Arab Spring, yeah. uh, a lot of the political upheaval around the world is driven by educated people. Uh, the uh, you know, I'd like to say the Arab societies, the Middle Eastern societies, uh, bought two things from the West over the last 50 years. They bought uh, armaments, unfortunately, and they bought education, but they thought that they were just going to have very uh, technically trained people mm. and, and, and the perfect, quiet citizens. Well, they didn't read the book. <laughs> That's not what happened. Right. They got people who were... Uh, uh, you know, turbocharged politically uh, and said, hey, our society doesn't work like other societies around the world. And we can see that and we understand that. So so it's not that education's had no effect on edu uh, on politics or only, you know, only created um, these model citizens. And many of the trends in politics that people, some, a lot of people don't like all the trends, um, but but uh, they're there is a direct reflection of education. It, education educated people have expanded what becomes political. They expanded the methods of, politi of, of, of of political, and of course, it expands the abilities to be political from different ideologies. Right. So it's not that everybody is educated and thinks as a liberal or a conservative. But once you have educated liberals and conservatives, they go to war, <laughs> and they have a lot of good, uh, good uh, organizational skills and ways to think. Right. So this produces a lot of you know everybody talks about the the gridlock in Washington and all that kind of stuff. The other way to look at it is that we actually have a very highly political society where all the different sides are very good at fighting this out. Sure. Um, so. So there's a lot of draws in these battles, right? Absolutely. So religion is yeah. also interesting. <laughs> religion, <laughs> politics, both. Uh... Religion and politics, right. <laughs> so, so the classic idea for a hundred some years in sociology and, uh, is that uh, a scientific, educated society would kill religion, right? Well, uh, the, a number of sociologists of, of religion kept track of what was going on in religion in places like the United States. And religion doesn't die. In fact, of all the developed countries, uh, with, with 
developed economies. The United States is both the probably still the most schooled society. Mm-hmm. Others are catching up, but the most schooled society, and it's the most religious of those societies. Hmm. How does that happen? Right? Americans go to church, all kinds. Americans have all kinds of religious identity. Um, uh, it's a very important part in American society, and they're also highly educated. So I start with that premise, and I say, well, what, what's going on there? And, and actually what happens is uh, several things. There's, there's, there's uh, again, uh, uh, education doesn't just drive out religion. In fact, what happens is education, educated people change religion to a degree. Mm. They make religion more a little more abstract, so their belief structure changes. They're able to hold ideas of a humanly constructed society and a scientifically studied world uh, together. And so you get lots of very educated people with very deep spiritual beliefs. Now, the kind of God that they may uh, believe in is different from somebody with more traditional and uh, beliefs and less education. Um, but then, also importantly, just like in politics, educated people, educated laity members are very good at organizing, spreading ideas. Uh, and so, so education has really helped religion mm. in American society in many ways. Sure. Absolutely. What about, then, oh, yeah. And then, and then just one last, last point on sure. that is that what do kids learn in school about religion? They learn that all religions are valid, mm. right? By and large. Well, that kind of plurality of religion produces yet even more religion. Okay, so uh, all the education sets, ironically, sets the conditions for for a lot of religion, and so religion's not going to go away with the education revolution at all. Sure, absolutely. So we we talked about politics, religion, and right. then sort of, I, I think you, you kind of jump into the idea: is is this school society is is there morality in this, or is this? Oh yeah. Where's yeah. the? Oh, go, if you want to take that that idea, what? Where? Where is? Uh, where are we with this idea? Is this positive for society? Are we moving <laughs> yeah. better? Okay, that's there's two different questions. Okay, sure. Let me let me talk about where morality comes from in this, and and the flip side of the uh, idea that education transforms religion, but it doesn't kill it. It actually can help it grow. Right. Uh, the flip side of that is is that a lot of re- educational ideas were rooted in religious ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Christianity, because that's where a lot of the uh, major forms of education were, were developed in the education revolution. Uh, and even though, even though uh, you know, public schools, you, you know, the curriculum is not about a deity, uh, about a god or something like that, but the morality is deeply embedded there. Uh, sure. uh, Christian Judeo um, uh, reality um, that also fits Islam, fits a lot of basic religions. So, so, so the educational process is not just a technical process. It becomes very much a moral development process. Okay. Now, the second question is, is, is the education revolution good or bad for society? Right. I'm asked that all the time. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, as a sociologist, like, you know, as a scientist, sociologist, we, you know, that part of me is not supposed to have an opinion. It's right. supposed to say, here's what's happening. You decide. Sure. Right? All right. 
But let me put let me put on the uh, world citizen big baker <laughs> hat. Okay. Um, uh, I would say hands down, yes, it is good for society. I mean, the the uh, education's ability to improve health in societies. Uh, I do a lot of research on that now. Uh, improve social conditions and so forth. Uh, hands down. Uh, uh, I think it's been a, a, a very positive thing for human society. Okay. There are, however, costs. Sure. Uh, and here are some of the costs. Uh, some of the costs are other kinds of ways to organize societies have been lost and devalued. Um, uh, the idea that um, the best thing to do is to make somebody as cognitively proficient as possible um, devalues other kinds of human skills. Right. Okay. Doesn't mean to. It's not as if educators all sit around and say, "Oh, we're gonna, we're gonna devalue," you know, this kind of thing. Um, but it does. Um, it also has some very practical costs. Uh, for example, uh, the major effect in dropping fertility rates uh, in a population is education. Right. Mm. Okay. For the Southern Hemisphere, having lower lower number of kids per, 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 per woman is a good thing. But we're now seeing societies, highly educated societies in the Northern Hemisphere, that are below replacement levels. Right. Japan, right? Korea. Yeah. And we don't know what the world is like when uh, societies become below replacement. Mm -hmm. A lot of our institutions are based on growing population. Um, and there's some evidence to suggest that this is going to be a real sustainable crisis. Um, uh, so uh, you, you do get you do get costs. Also, uh, groups have used education for uh, very uh, dastardly, uh, uh, negative kinds of ideologies. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, although that tends not to work real well. Sure. Uh, thank goodness. Um, so yeah, there, 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 there are some costs. Um, you know, people have studied uh, how when you bring in basically a Western education, it kills a lot of uh, traditional society beliefs. Yeah. Um, now, I would argue that by and large, many of those traditional beliefs are going to be hard to sustain anyway as the world changes. Um, and ironically. Uh, those traditional societies are kept alive through scholarship out of the university. Yes. Um, but, uh, uh, there is, there, there is some costs, uh, uh, there. Uh, it also becomes the only game in town that parents and kids can play, uh, to pass on, uh, advantage or, or to, 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 to have your kid, um, uh, end up in a, in a, in a position in society. Well, what if the kid's not very good at it? Uh, this is very difficult and painful. Yeah. Um, particularly when it becomes the only game. Uh, and, and this causes people a lot of stress. Um, and, and uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's very difficult when there's no other ways to be successful without, you know, being successful in the schooling process. Mm. I'm not saying that's necessarily always true for everybody, but right. it, it increasingly yeah. becomes that way. Um, um, so, um, yeah, this, this creates this kind of dominance of education hmm. comes with very high costs sure. uh, for, for, for families and individuals. All right. Well, so we, we kind of went through 
what this looks like for society now and sort of how we got here. But I guess the, the big question is, uh, where is this going? You know, what's the future of this uh, school society going to look like? Yeah. Well, uh, just like sociologists don't like to make a moral judgment, we, <laughs> we hate to, because the, 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 the world is littered with bad future predictions sure, by, yeah, right. by experts. Um, but I do try a little bit in the book, sure. uh, um, at least for the short term. Uh, uh, so let, let's think about it as a bet. So I wouldn't bet on education uh, uh, stopping. <laughs> I wouldn't bet on it's going to reach some natural limit and then people are going to want no more of it. Okay. Uh, I would bet the other way. Uh, I, I would bet that education will continue to expand online, uh, all kinds of mixing of degrees. The intensification of education is going to continue. Right. Uh, uh, more and more of the world in terms of its cultural ideas are pulled into the university. Okay. Uh, and uh, in many ways, the society acts like a, like a school more than the other way around. Uh, social problems get defined as problems with an, uh, an education, or, or rather I should say there's an educational solution to them, right? Uh, we jump to that very quickly. So these kind of processes are going to continue. Um, the world um, with technology online, uh, uh, it, it's going to be very interesting. Uh, you know, everybody said, oh, when the MOOCs came out, said, oh, this is the end of the university. Oh, that's so silly. Right. Uh, universities took these as, as, as marketing ploys to get people <laughs> in their online uh, uh, programs. Right. right? Um, uh, so we're going to see a lot of this kind of action, which is going to be very interesting uh, and very dynamic. Um, uh, you know, at, at my institution here, people from all over the world are getting degrees at Penn State online. Fascinating. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and, um, so that's going to continue, uh, the effects of education on things like politics and religion and, and, uh, and credentialing and all these other things that I talk about in the book are, I think are going to continue to intensify. Right. Um, and, uh, I think, uh, in many ways, uh, education kills the old idea of a social class, elite based on uh, economic privilege. Um, that's kind of a fancy sociological way to say that education, the winners in the education game become the elites. Mm -hmm. um, and we've never seen that really before in society. Um, uh, they aren't necessarily the people that own the factories or have the most uh, politically connected families and so forth. Um, so this is going to change how social stratification works. It already is. Uh, and so, so we don't know exactly what's going to happen. Sure. Um, for example, uh, there's a whole area of what's called shadow education. Yeah. Uh, you, 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 you interviewed Mark Bray, who studies that. Sure. I did too early in my career. This is going through the roof. This is, uh, uh, what it is, is uh, outside tutoring uh, to help kids in their school careers. Right. This is expanding worldwide. Uh, uh, you know, the pressure on families to do everything they can in terms of education of their kids is only going to continue. So the, all those kinds of processes uh, will continue into the future. Uh, and some of that can be quite ugly. I mean, people, people don't always like exactly how that looks. Um, but um, I think
think you can bet that that's going to continue. Sure. Uh, so um, it also uh, more and more non-educational activities will have educational components to them, formal educational components. Mm. Um, so like the military spends huge amounts of money in training uh, uh, soldiers, right. who, by the way, they now want to have basic, good basic education, right? right? Um, uh, so there's going to be lots of jobs in, in, in formal education sectors outside of the traditional education uh, process, uh, sector, if you will, right? Sure. Firms, military, so forth, social uh, 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 places, NGOs, these kinds of things increasingly use an education model in their work. And um, so the technology of education then spreads. Um, the, the whole area of neuroscience and education is just starting to explode now. Mm. Uh, you know, after much hand-wringing that the two really n could never uh, help each other. Well, that's, that's not true. Um, so, so, yeah, I think the school society is going to intensify. Uh, exactly where it's going to end up, that's hard to tell. Sure. But, uh, yeah, that, that, that'd be my, 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 my general prediction. Okay. Uh, well, kind of wrapping up the, the interview, we, we always sort of end on um, this question. You know, you just got, or kind of just got done with this book, but uh, what, what do you feel like is uh, next for, for you? Where, what, are you, what are you working on? Do you have another book, another project coming up? What's sure, it? sure. Well, I've been doing a lot of work on uh, several things that are related uh, one is, you know, what? How does education have these kinds of effects that it does on health and uh, lots of demographic processes? And I've been working with uh, neuroscientists and um, uh, 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 cognitive psychologists to look at some of the micro effects of education on brain development and so forth. Um, so I'm interested in that. Uh, and I'm also then looking at some of the broader questions of, of education and religion, um, education and, and politics and so forth. So, um, yeah. And lastly, I've been thinking, you know, is the uh, ability and interest to teach other humans and to learn from other humans uh, something that's been uh, deeply uh, part of our uh, evolution as a species and how we oh, wow. think Okay. Well, that, that sounds very interesting. So we'll, yeah. <laughs> we'll look, we'll look for some, some more of that in the future. But, uh, in the meantime, uh, Dr. David Baker, thank you very much. And I encourage all the audience to go check out the school society, the educational transformation of global culture. And it's your host, Brian Allen. And I hope you learned something.